the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome to a very special episode of Interview Fridays on the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Matt Browning, your host as per usual. This week is a special week. It is Thanksgiving week. Ah, Thanksgiving. In fact, it's Black Friday. Now, I thought about on Black Friday doing some kind of a special, you know, a sale thing or uh, something about (laughs) decreasing stress. And I thought this would be perfect. So instead of doing what a lot of businesses do, which is try to sell you a bunch of stuff on Black Friday, I'm going to give you an interview with probably the person that we all need to hear from right now. It's the person, the author of the book called Choose Bliss, The Power and Practice of Joy and Contentment. And if you're in the Western civilized world, what a great topic for what can be for some, you know, a really busy time of year and you got relatives and you have gift giving and you have, you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that stuff. So take a take take a, an inventory of yourself and of life. And this weekend while you're hanging out for the holidays, listen in and meet my friend Monika Sawyer. Monika is a real estate investor and she has a special podcast called Real Estate Investing for Women. She focuses on all the aspects of real estate investing, including strategies and mindset, emotional mastery, which is really great, uh, being money smart, and so much more to make sure people can succeed. Now, the reason I wanted to put her on this week is uh, we did this interview a few months back, and I've known Monika for years. She's been a student of mine. She's been a friend. She's a colleague. uh, She's a fellow podcaster as well. She actually introduced me to our PR company that's helping to... um, to get the podcast out and into the world. So uh, we're doing some great things together. Monique is phenomenal. But her best-selling book, Choose Bliss, really, really interesting. She, she was, uh, the book was recently honored with the very prestigious Woman of Impact Quill Award by Focus on Women magazine. And she's been investing in real estate for over 20 years. She's worked through several cycles of the market in 20 years. Now, I personally, I got into real estate and mortgages, as many of you know my story, Oh my gosh, this is scary. 20 years ago as well. I was 18 years old and learning about credit and finance and whatnot. So during the interview, Monique and I talked quite a lot about both my and her experience with real estate investing, with ups, with downs, with strategies, overcoming fear, uh, how to, you know, how to get out and, and sometimes take your first step, you know, what that first step is and what to do if you failed or have had some pain in it, how to be able to get back in in a smart, intelligent way. And that's what I've done as well. So we talk about that. Um, She stayed in real estate, though, as I got out and have come back in. She's turned $10,000 into over $2 million, all of that working five to 10 hours per month with very little stress. That's the whole point of it. And so Monika talks about not just the real estate, but also In her book, Choose Bliss, The Power and Practice of Joy and Contentment, she shares real-life strategies, thought processes, and mindsets about how in every situation, no matter what the circumstances, you can always choose bliss rather than choosing stress. So right now, on this Black Friday, if you're listening to this live, if you want to choose bliss over any other option, listen in on my amazing interview with Monika Sawyer. You may have seen or heard her on CBS News, CBS 5, ABC, NBC, Fox, CW. She has been all over the place sharing this message of bliss and also blissful real estate investing. Enjoy, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Monika Sawyer. Hi. 
here we are. Yay! Yay. I've been waiting for this moment for so long. How are you, Monika? I am so good, Matt. Me too. This is so cool. So we've known each other for a good couple years now, at least. And uh, you have been... You've been part of my mastermind, and I got to know you as a student, and I've watched you excel so far beyond what, uh, not what I've imagined for you, but what I think a lot of people do, and I'm proud to call you a friend, a colleague, um, a, a mentor in a lot of ways, too. You've been teaching me about podcasting, and there's a thing or two I can learn about real estate from you. Um, <laughs> it, it's exciting to be with you, and, and just to kind of, I don't know, I guess... Every time I get to know you, it's there's always a shortage of time. And funny enough, what I've loved, really started to love about these podcasts is it's giving me more of a long form, an excuse essentially to sit down with someone I've wanted to for a while, uh, you know, in long form and just, uh, and it's all about you. So I get to really know some of the gritty stuff about you. So without any further ado, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm doing great. Amazing, yeah. actually. I know so you are. I'm having so much fun. You're always doing great. You know, I have bad days, but they just don't last very long. Why? Why should they? <laughs> Why should they? Why they should they? We I have control that. over that. Now, you, you've been doing, uh, you're busy. You've been doing an incredible uh, amount of stuff. Uh, but I would love to, I want to kind of dive into everything with you and start in the beginning. So okay. just before we were rolling tape, you started to tell me a story as we were testing levels. And I want to get to that. Your parents came over uh, to America before you were born. You were born here. I was born right? here. Yeah. Um, how old were they when they came over? Ish. Ooh, um, my parents—they're really fascinating. Like I'm kind—I consider myself sort of a trendsetter. Uh -huh. I get this from my parents. Um, they grew up in a time where everybody was getting married at like 18, 20. My mom was 28, and my dad was 36 when they got married. Wow! In India. In India. In India. So they were old maids. They were totally old maids, and they had an arranged marriage. And it's really interesting. You know, they had three weeks to date. Before they could decide if they were going to get married. And that was super modern. They, so they got to decide. They had to decide. I'm going to marry you. Is, is that because I, I, I hear right in mm -hmm. the media and everything about, you know, the arranged marriage. But I, that's not my culture. I don't come from. Right. You like having your parents within that. So is that the deal like with arranged marriages? Is it is it usually, hey, we're going to arrange this, but you still have to choose the person? Or is it traditionally like, this is who you're marrying and that's the end of it? It depends on where you're from and okay. what the family is. So um, more in the villages, they the parents just decide. My parents both came from the city. Gotcha. And so, and from much more modern families. So a little more progressive in the, you're included in your decision for the rest of your life. That's right. <laughs> But you get wow. three weeks to make this decision. You have three solid weeks. Right, I love that. Right. So they come over. Where do they land? What, what uh, area in the U.S.? Um, I want to say Detroit. Um, they came here with $200 in their pocket. And, um, you know, my dad had a degree from England, and my mom was a doctor. Um, but she was a doctor from India, so her medical degree wasn't recognized here. Anyway, so they came here, and this is part of, like, sort of how I moved into real estate. So um, they had heard that the golden ticket to wealth in the United States was to buy real estate. So as soon as they could, they, like, bought their very first house, right? Could you imagine coming as an immigrant to this country with $200 in your pocket and then buying a house? Like, what kind that, of magic is that? Well, that doesn't make any sense. And especially for me, I feel like my mindset... Even though I, I teach this stuff, mm -hmm. I feel like it would be a big struggle. Mm -hmm. um, 
especially like you you mentioned about you know not being recognized as a doctor so you're like i'm a i'm a doctor in my home country mm-hmm. i come here it's a totally different license board different everything so i know how good i am i know what i can do but my prestige level went from super high to, to i can't get a job immigrant level yeah that right? so for me i feel like that would kind of that would kind of knock me but I, I always have so much respect for you know the Schwarzeneggers of the world, your parents of the world, who said, "I'm going to go start a brand new life with nothing," but the mindset, that strong mindset of, "And I'm going to create it." Right. That's incredible. So, do they have any kids when they came over? Or was they just had the two no of them? kids, and they barely knew each other. They knew each other. For, they, so they'd just been married. They'd just gotten married. Could you imagine? And moved. And moved. No extra stress there. No, right. <laughs> so so then, so they bought their house, and they started saving their nickel, nickels and dimes. What, what, do you remember, what, what did they do, have, as the story goes, this is before you were born, but just kind of real quick, what, what did they do for work? What were some of the jobs? Or? So my dad did get an engineering job, which is why they ended up moving down to Detroit okay. originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that didn't last long, and they moved to Columbus, Ohio ah, after that. My parents spend a lot of time there yeah really cleveland mostly i think but i think there was some time in columbus too okay so i was there for my first seven years that's where i well that's where i was born well we have something in common i believe i was conceived in ohio oh i know (laughs) (laughs) i was too Our and parents my, have something in common. I, I love it. And my <laughs> my parents moved out to California when I was a little baby. Uh-huh. Oh, so no, before I was a baby. So I was a fetus, and then because uh, I was born in Santa Ana. So anyway, <laughs> so your dad's an engineer. What did your mom do? So my mom actually um, did kind of odd jobs at hospitals. So my mom is an amazing magnetic personality. Yeah. And um, she kind of hunted really hard, and eventually one of the hospitals brought her in as an extern. Okay. So she got a stipend, which was which was little, a little bit, but at least she was practicing and she was getting knowledge. She was getting experience at American hospitals. Mm-hmm. She's a serious go-getter. My mom is amazing. So is my dad, but like my mom, her degree didn't even wasn't even recognized, you know. Oh, and, and just to, again to go back into it, right? I can right. see just giving up. Go, oh, I'll do something else, but to go back into it. Um, no, she was determined. So how how long were they here until you came along? Two years. Two years. And do you have brothers and sisters? Two younger ones. Two younger ones. Yeah. Brothers, sisters? Two younger sisters. All, so three bliss sisters. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, <laughs> that's amazing. That's actually really funny because, well, that's another long story. We're yeah. not bliss sisters, let's say. No. No. <laughs> More like drama. Drama. <laughs> drama. Were you, were you if, if you were, were you closer to your mom or your dad? I wasn't really close to either one. Or I was close to both. Like, it depends on your perspective. Well, what's your perspective? W- would um, you say you weren't that close to your parents or you were? I'm crazy about my parents. Like, yeah. I'm madly in love with them, which most people don't say. But being, oh, but, wow. But, but growing up. But um, loving them and being close to them as you grow up could be two different things potentially. Yeah. And I think that when I was much younger, I was very close to them. Mm-hmm. And then as a teenager, of course, fell away from them. And then once I went to college, I've been very, very close. I'm very attached to them now. Oh, so it came back around. It did. That's awesome. Yeah. Who, uh, who did you follow someone's footsteps in there? Again, more in the mindset, the belief system. Did you look at your mom as a role model or your dad as a role model? Or did you pick pieces from each one? I think I picked pieces from each one. Mm-hmm. My mom is a really outgoing, shining personality, and I wanted to be that. Yeah. Um, and my dad really got money. 
I mean, he understood money. He understood hard work. Both of them understood hard work. But dad was very clear about you pay your dues and you work hard and you make money. Right. Um, and so everything that I've learned about real estate has been from him. So sort of, I guess, like everything that I am as a person, I think I got from my mom. Hmm. Um, and everything I am as a businesswoman, I think I got from my dad, actually. That, that's amazing. Yeah. You, you don't find someone who can grab both parents as a role model very often. So that's cool you get to do that. Yeah. Um, now, I know I, I've heard this some of the story from you personally, but also, uh, you know, it's up online as well. Um, you share a story about kind of what it was like growing up in school. And um, I don't want to spend too much time kind of dwelling in it, but I'd love to, I think you have a really interesting take in how you came into that and how you got out of it about, you know, you said you were really shy and felt a lot of shame growing up in school. What was that from? What was the driving force for that? And I guess, like, what was the experience there? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was born in Columbus, Ohio, in a smaller neighborhood where everybody was white. Mm. And so I was the only person that was not white. And because of that, I got bullied and humiliated and tormented. I mean, it was horrible. Mm. And so I spent a lot of time just trying to not be seen. I was a very shy person. Um, I knew I was going to be alone for the rest of my life and people were going to hate me. Like, I was really clear on that. Wow. And so I spent so much time just hiding. Um, well, what, so what was it? I mean... I don't want to date you exactly, but you know, it was, it was, it was a, a, long a few time years ago. ago. Yeah. Um, so w- I mean, was it like overt racism or was it just the, Hey, you're different and we don't really get it, you know? Really good question. So my nickname was Shitface. Oh my gosh. So it was very, very definitively racism. Wow. Yeah. That's horrendous. It's surprising to me too, how often... <laughs> Just, again, even just doing some of these interviews, how often I've been encountering this, right? And and it's hard for me to say, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a white kid in his 30s, yeah. you know, in California. So it's like sometimes I feel like I almost don't have a place to say something. But then I know that I do because every one of us has a place. And it's 2018. And I know that it kind of it still exists. But also it's crazy how far we've come that, like, I, I would pray, you know, like that our kids – Hey, my kid, he's, he's lightly tanned. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we got a, a, a mixed family, I suppose. Um, someone once told me that like, oh, you have an interracial marriage. And I was like, I never thought of it. I just, I'd never considered that, that, you know, my wife or his, her mom is German her dad is Mexican, some native American in there. We, you know, it's a bunch of stuff. So my son, he, you know, we joke and say he's our lightly tanned baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now in, in, for the kids, this generation, it's, it's funny how often they don't see that. Right. Because they have parents like you and I who, whether we've in your case, you've been through the horrendous side of it or me, I was oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And no fault to my own or otherwise. But I didn't care. So I never cared, you know, about any race of friends growing up. I just didn't think of it. And, you know, my, my dad thought a little bit because he moved to Santa Ana and it was a really high Hispanic culture and there was a lot of negativity and a lot of violence and gang work and stuff. So he had this take of, oh, you know. Mexican, you know, gangbangers and that thing, right? Mm-hmm. But besides that, he didn't really care, you know. So for me, I know I, I just hear that my heart goes out to the little girl. Um, but then I also have this hope and this this joy that that it's changed so much, and we have a long way to go, but we have so much anyway. Enough on that. No but huge amount how, of progress. Yeah. What What's your take now as an adult woman who has grown up and gone through that, mm-hmm. looking at? the state of where we are maybe, and I know it's different, different areas, Mm -hmm. but what's your take on the state of where we are now 
having that history. I just love watching how people, you know, we're so lucky to live in California. Um, I've traveled the world, you know, I've been to like 55 countries. Oh my gosh. So I've seen a lot of stuff. And I think that we in California have this bubble or even on the West Coast, we also see it in Seattle and Portland. You know, there's, we have a huge mix of cultures and we're very accepting of all the benefits of those cultures. Right. Right. And I love it. But I'm also in a mixed marriage, and I'm very dark, and my husband is very white. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's, like, really obvious. Like, you can't even really take pictures of the two of us because the lighting doesn't come out right. Yeah, it's so funny. (laughs) But so anywhere we go, you know, whether it's in the country or outside of the country, Uh people still, there's a response to that. Really? Yeah. And um, So even like in, like in San, we're we're in in Monterey right now as we record this. So no, there would be nothing here. So you walk around the beach and they don't even notice. People don't even notice. And you know, that's what I loved about what you said is like, you didn't even notice. And that's what you really, that's what I love and you hope for is that people are basically race blind. Yeah. You know, I think we're heading more and more in that direction, yeah. it, but it's generationally. I think that's true. Because I still remember my dad saying, oh, like we have these issues with this race. Right. But he didn't have a hate in his heart of like, I just don't like them. Right. But the right. generation before, before that, there was a definitive, you know, your World War Two era. It's, you know, it's the good guys and the bad guys. That's right. That's um, right. I remember my son wa- walked up. I shared this story once before, so I'll do it fast. But uh, we were playing at the park, and it was probably three or four years ago. And um, he's, he, you know, so he's three years old, four years old. And he said something like, I said, oh, did you find any friends to play with? He goes, oh, yeah, the black kid over there. But here's the best part of this. I look over, and it was a white kid in a black shirt. Oh. So, and I just, I thought to myself, like, God, he, like, he doesn't know that he doesn't never notices the difference. The first thing he defined someone by was, Oh, the color of the shirt he wore. That's how I'll describe him, not the color of their skin. And I just thought that marks our new generation. And, and I pray that it continues going. What you know, a blessing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. And I think we're forerunners in that here in California and it's, it's spreading throughout the country and yeah. throughout the world. So, so what was the thing that, because you, you clearly have a different mindset and a different attitude and perception than that you grew up with. So you said when you were a little girl, you said, oh, I'm going to be alone forever. I'm terrible, basically. Mm-hmm. What was the turning point? How old were you when you started going, wait a minute, maybe I'm not so terrible. Maybe maybe I'm beautiful. Maybe what they said isn't true. Maybe there's a different truth. When did that first start coming in? And, so, and what caused you to make that change? Yeah, when I was um, 16, my parents sent me away to India. As a, uh, They didn't send me away. I went away <laughs> as an exchange student to mm-hmm. India. And it was amazing because here I had been this wallflower. I thought of myself as hideous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there and I was considered gorgeous. Wow. Like I was a head turner. And, um, and what an amazing feeling to be a head turner, like after being hideous your whole life to, you know, and, um, it was an amazing experience and just the very first time that I got to experience myself as someone people wanted to get to know, you know, and one of the things that I decided then was I'm not going back to my old life. Like, I'm going to take this with me. I don't know how, but I'm going to take it with me. Wow. I love so, that. Yeah. So when I got back, though, there was, you know, I still came back to my old world. 
and I got myself out there, right? And I was like, okay, I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be, I'm going to take that memory and be that person. And um, unfortunately, there were horrible consequences because still, and this is the thing that I want people to understand is we, as we're in transition, we're going from the beliefs that we have to the beliefs that we want. The belief that I wanted was that I was beautiful and I was acceptable and I was charming and all of those things. But the true belief that I had was that I was hideous and I had to please people. Right. So as a beautiful person that wanted to please people, I started dating, wanted to please the boys. Really bad things happened. Oh. So that's kind of, you know, sort of how that transition happened. Not that I ever want to scare people from not like not taking steps, but just understand that there are there are steps along the way and be very aware. I think I just wasn't as aware of um, of sort of what I was presenting. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's mm-hmm. like if you, so what I'm getting from you is you're saying that. The inside is still transitioning, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The inside and the outside. Right. And you're kind of coming back now going, okay, I'm going to be confident and beautiful and believe this and all that, mm-hmm. even though you're still not maybe 100% there. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm still a people pleaser, right? Yeah, that's you still have the I... old belief system yeah. that's kind of kicking around. That's right. That's right. And so um, those horrible things happened and, of course, like shot me back. Like I fell back into my... my um, what do you want to call it? Turtle shell, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it was. So anyway, so there's been transitions like that. I would not change that transition of mindset for the world. Right. Um, it was a journey to get to where I am today. That's incredible. Now, you uh, so you get your degree from Berkeley. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Just switching gears into this a little bit, and you get a. Did you know you were going to get a degree in business, or did and and who influenced that, if anyone? Uh-huh. Um. That's my first question. Okay. Um, no, I was supposed to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, as all Indian children are supposed to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. <laughs> this is a very important aspect. And um, I had to fight my parents like crazy yeah. to have them pay for this for this college degree to get to go into business. The reason they ended up doing it, and this is so Indian. <laughs> <laughs> what a great preframe. This is so Indian. This is so Indian. Well, you know, UC Berkeley is the third-ranked um, business school in the entire nation. Okay, so then it's okay. Oh, because there's prestige. Because there's prestige around. You that. must be at the best school. You that's must right. have that's a good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to do this degree that's non-conforming, at least do it at a really good school. Right, and conforming is doctor, lawyer, engineer. That's right. Isn't it so funny? So, like, um, in the Filipino culture, mm-hmm. y- you have two choices. You want to be a nurse. Or are you going to be a physical therapist? Oh. That is success. Okay. Right? At least from everyone I've met so far. Mm-hmm. You can tweet me at Matt Browning and tell me I'm wrong because <laughs> your mom said you should be an artist. I get it. Uh, but everyone I've met so far, <laughs> that's all. it's just funny. That's always like, yeah, my mom, that's exactly it. Yeah. If you say, mom, I want to be a physical therapist, they go, oh, so proud of you. Yes. Mom, I'm an executive coach. Mom, I'm getting into real estate. What? What? What are you no, talking about? No, no, no. What are you? Yeah. What are yeah. you talking about? So what do you do? Yeah. So that's what it was like for you. Yeah. Um. So did, was there a point when they got behind you with the business degree? I mean, I, I know with the UC Berkeley, and I, I, I get. Yeah. I'm sure your parents were supportive, uh, in like in their way. Yeah. But was there a time when they kind of they got it and they go, oh, this is what you're doing. Like we love that. No. No, not really. <laughs> 
that not so much. My daughter goes to UC Berkeley, yes. Oh, but, yeah. so that was a story. Not my daughter's going to for a business, business degree. Yeah. yeah, my daughter goes to UC Berkeley. We're very proud of her because she's in the third best school Okay. in the nation. That's, That's right. so great. So coming, <laughs> so coming out of Berkeley, did you get a, um, did you go straight to marketing or did you I have did. A, a job in between? No, I went straight to marketing um, right out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, hated corporate. Hated it. Now, did you go straight to marketing in corporate? I did. What kind of companies did you work for? I worked for Wells Fargo. Oh. Um, ended up really not liking banking. Moved into tech. So um, I've worked for Cisco Systems. And um, gosh, it's been so long. I don't even remember It feels the like names. another lifetime. Yeah, I create, yeah. There, a lot of the companies aren't even there. Creative Labs. Do so you even remember those guys? Maybe. This is a long time ago. That totally dates me. Yeah. But this yeah. This is before the dot-com bust is what you're saying. This, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I did, I was in marketing a lot of tech, um, had my own department. I mean, it was, what, what, I, I so did what really do, well. What, what does marketing, quote unquote, look mm-hmm. like in, in the corporate landscape at that time? Is it is it advertising work or I is it? I actually did trade shows. Trade shows. Yeah. So I was the person that ran around and, and put together the shows, did all the collateral um, hire the booth babes, you know, okay. figured all that stuff so you, out. Wait, I thought you were going to be the booth babe. You I ha- was the booth babe. Yeah, but, but I you had also help. hired more booth yeah. babes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. so, so you, how long did you marketing then? I think it was six years. Six years in tech. Um, it was four years in banking. But the whole time you were getting over it. So this is 10 years and you're just like, you never really, did you ever like the idea of corporate work or from the beginning did you just think this isn't me i well, loved marketing okay i mean i had marketing books stacked up next to my bed so you love the ideas and the concepts and the work itself right. what was it about corporate that you did not like i i have to confess i have an issue with authority do so you i did not <laughs> could you guess that about me no <laughs> I, I actually tell you the truth i wouldn't okay yeah, yeah. I, well i would guess that you probably have an issue with domineering authority that's what i mean right authority that like asserts itself even though there's no reason right but i don't see you as because ha- when i think of authority i think of like you know divinely placed authority or i think of someone who we invite as an authority figure you right. know at that point i've i don't think you'd have any problem that's true you're very that's coachable yes thank you for yeah. that um, but I get the domineering authority, the negative side or the, the there's a rule, but I'm not going to tell you why. It's just this is the way we do it. So shut up and do your job. Kind of that's, that's right. stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you hated that. I hated that. I hated not having flexibility. Um, I hated not being recognized for mm. ex- my excellence um, in the places that I was excellent. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, I think about respect. We earn respect. We don't demand respect. And I think in corporation, there's this sense of you just have to respect this person because they're higher than you. Yeah, there's a title. There's a title, and that gives you respect. And for me, that doesn't impress me. Yeah, I'm so I'm so anti-title leadership. Right. 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 I, I, I believe in raising leaders up and then titling. If you're going to title them, titles are fine, but titling what already is, not saying I'm this person because my business card says so. That's right. So you hated that. I hated that. And did you make the plan to get out or did you one day just go, I'm done and you went to the beach? What was the, what was the exit from corporate? I became a day trader. 
Really? I did. I didn't know that. Yeah. I became a day trader and I was doing it part-time while I was working at Cisco. Did you buy like a, a, a online class or something or an infomercial? I did. It was not an infomercial. No. A friend took me to a class. Because I bought those. Yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, they're cool. The right is enticing. It's so good. Um, And I was really good at it. My banking experience kicked in. I like the numbers, everything. I mean, it was, it, it was like a video game for me. Hmm. And... um. I replaced my income at Cisco, which was really good. It was a six-figure income. I replaced that within four months. Dang. In day trading? In day trading. No joke. Yeah, and I was doing it only two hours a day. Like before I went to work. I love it. Right? All right, so let's do another podcast all about day trading. (laughs) I'm ready for that. So, yeah, so I did that. And so that's what got me out of of corporate. Wow. And, um, yeah, and then from there... Wow, I've now, done how, quite how a lot did of you, stuff. Yeah, because you you've done you did the marketing, but after that you worked as a loan officer and worked in the mortgage industry, right? Right. So you actually, did executive it was a day- coaching. You did day trading. Yeah. You, like what? And you, you wrote your book, but we'll get to that later. So what did you do first? It, you were day trading. I and was then day trading, and then my husband and I quit shop and we backpacked around the world for six months because I made enough money for us to do that. What a great idea! Right? Because you made enough money for us to That's do that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. What uh, did you do? Like European tour? Did you go everywhere? We we followed the equator around the world. Went no to thirteen joke. countries. Wow. Yeah, yeah with a, cu- a couple of backpacks and each other, and it was like magic. Wow. Yeah. Six months. Yeah. Were you ready to come home at the end of it, or you're ready to maybe do more and I was ready to do more, yeah, um, but we needed to come home, you know we my husband had taken a leave of absence, he needed to come back to his work, so wow, that's so incredible. So we came back and then I moved into mortgages. So I gotcha. did not day trade after we came back from the trip around the world is when I moved into so you the day mortgage. traded, you made your money, you stopped it, you traveled around the world. Yeah. And then you came back and said, what's next? That's right. And I'm very much... So why mortgage? Um, I was interested in real estate. I mean, you know this. I've been investing in real estate for a long time. Now, had you been investing in real estate already, like mm-hmm. back in the corporate days and everything? Okay. I had. I what, had. What, what, how old were you when you bought your first property? 25. 25? Yeah. Fairly young. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what area? Was it in the Bay Area? It was in the Bay Area. Okay. It was Campbell, actually, where, okay. where we live now. All right. So is, you're not talking, because sometimes someone says, oh, I bought my first house and I was, and it was a, you know, $18,000 house because they're in, you know, the Midwest or something. No. So. It was, it was yeah. a good expensive home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you're 25. So so at this point you get back, Do you ha- are you building a property pro- portfolio or are you um, buying and selling and flipping or no, a combination? I've never been a flipper. I have done flips yeah. because it worked out. Sure. But that was has never been my strategy. It's always been buy and hold, build for the future. I like that. I don't want this taking over my life. I really would prefer not even to think about it is kind of where I was with that. Look, look you know what's funny too is now – so I used to do a lot of flipping, as you know, mm-hmm. and now my mentality is much different. So we're gonna mm-hmm. we're looking to buy uh, my first house in ten years, um, coming up in, in a month or two. So Yay. in the summertime. But the idea is like, hey, if we live here forever or not, I don't care. We're I'm fifteen year mortgage, pay it down, turn it into a rental one day. You know, like that's my mentality is very different. 
but it, sometimes it takes, you know, seeing the ups and the downs. That's you know? right. That's I right. made a lot of money. I lost a lot of money. Um, for you, you were always looking at the long game, which I, I so commend. And that's one of the reasons why you're one of the few people I'm, I would always listen to and take real estate advice from, um, or really any advice for that mm-hmm. matter, because you, you, you've proven yourself in a track record, right, of, of long-term thinking. And I think too often uh, we miss it, right? And we get stuck in that short term. Right. Um, how long did you do mortgages and did you do your own mortgages? Did you do surgery on yourself? I did not do my own mortgages. I always did. Yeah. <laughs> but I always screwed myself, you know. Yeah. Well I charged too many points. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, no, I didn't do that. And part of it was because I, I had so many friends in the industry that I mm. knew I could always get better than what I could do. Right. Because I had five people working for me, like, I mean, in different places. I could say, hey, what do you got? Hey, what do you got? You know, yeah. like that. So, um, and then they could just do all the paperwork. It's just done. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So, um, so I think I was in mortgages for six years. So I'm very much a been there, done What, what was the year time frame? To, to to date the mortgage thing because <clears throat> I'm always we, so interested in yeah. that, where the market was and when you were in it. So we moved to France in 2006. Of course you in did. In December, yeah. And I think, <laughs> and I think I w- it was six years before that. So 2000? Yeah. So basically 2000, 2000, 2000 to 2006? And, no, I want to say it was probably 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so something like that. So five or six years. Okay. Um, and then again, so I'd you really were in it almost exclusively during the uptrend. That's exactly right, because we had hit a bottom in two thousand and one, right? Yep. And I remember I that w- distinctly because I got in in ninety eight. Okay. And so I was in when rates had just dropped below seven percent, six and seven eighths, and we mm-hmm. were, and I was eighteen years old, and people were freaking out, and we were refining like crazy, mm-hmm. and then by two thousand. Um, our pipeline went from, you know, 80 loans at once to like, you know, 13 or something, all second mortgages, you know, like really, really bad and subprime stuff. Everything changed. Mm-hmm. And then 2001 is really slow. So, so then, but I watched it start to build and build. That's right. So you were in there that whole time. Did you, were you buying houses during that time too? I then? was buying right? houses also during that time. It's still long-term thinking? Yes. How, here's my big <laughs> question for you, Monique. This is what I've been waiting to ask you. How did you not get swept up in what it seemed to be the culture believed and thought at the time? You know, the classic upturn culture. You know, these waves only last seven, eight years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow we always have this belief that it's never going to end, mm-hmm. right? And there's been countless conversations around this topic, you know, ever since. And hindsight being 2020, you know, I would have done things differently. How did you not get swept up in that and still see that long-term vision? What was your thought process? What was the belief system? What did you say to yourself? You know, I'm sure you had friends in the industry who were like, hey, just bought another place, just made $400,000, just did this, just did oh that. And you're like, that's great. That's not me. That's How not did me. you do that? What is <clears throat> it about you? I'm actually really risk averse. So for naturally, naturally, um, I, I am willing to take a lot of risk, like for businesses to get ahead. But when I'm looking at my investments, which is also interesting because of the day trading thing, the mm-hmm. way that I traded also yes, was very, in a very risk averse way, um, which is a completely different topic. OK, but um, but I'm actually fairly risk averse. And so for me, one of the things my dad had told me is the more time you've got, the more opportunities you have to be right. Hmm. And so I knew that if I was willing to hold, no matter what the cycle was, I would eventually be right. Right. I didn't realize how right 
<laughs> right? Like, wow, I was really right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But that's what you did. That's what I did. So, so, so through, and you don't need to disclose, you know, details and, mm-hmm. you know, money and everything, but um, roughly or mm-hmm. generally through the, the 2007 to early 2009 crash, what what happened for you and like portfolio wise did you have to did you have to dump stuff were you in a buy and hold situation where you said oh my gosh i'm worth half what i thought i was but i'm still renting out places and and it'll come back like that's what? exactly what i did you're kidding me i literally my portfolio dropped in half Mo- on my primary residence even more right so i can give you some you were numbers in, you, you were in a high value place up yeah, in the bay area that's right so i went from a million to um, I think it, it actually was half. It went from a million to five hundred thousand. Wow! In three months. Wow! My that was my primary residence. The rest of my portfolio did now, similar things. And, and what kind of? And again, you don't have to tell me you know exact mm-hmm. numbers, but what kind of mortgages roughly leverage did you have? Like, are you looking at a house? Like, hey, I thought it was a million, and I owe eight hundred, mm-hmm. and now it's worth five. So what are we gonna do? Or were you in a place where hey, I've been conservative and paying things down? So, like, where did you land yeah. uh, debt to uh, asset? So, I was seriously underwater. Okay. So, I had put only 20% down, mm-hmm. and we were $300,000 underwater. And Oh, wow. So, that was an accurate number I just that, made up. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. <laughs> and what's really interesting about this is that a lot of people, they're $300 underwater, and they're like, oh, my God. Right? They're freaking out. But what changed? Like, like. Like, sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. interrupting you, but like people are freaking out. But what actually changed in the real world? That's right. You it's sp- paper. If you could do it a month ago, why can't you do it today? That's right. <laughs> so there are people that lost their jobs and they couldn't do it. Right. I get that's that. Totally. Right. But we didn't. We right. hadn't lost our job. Actually, my husband did lose his job. He was out of work for three months. Okay. Um, it was so that was interesting. Also, my business had plummeted too because of things that have been going on. Mm-hmm. So we were having financial trouble. But here's the thing: this was our house. This is our write-off. Right. Right. If I stay in it, eventually it's going to correct. We loved it. I ended up not being able to stay in it because he had to move because of work. Oh wow! So then we had to rent it out. Fortunately, but you kept it and you rented it out. That's See, so right. many people would have said, "I'm getting rid of this. We have thing. to move anyway. Let's just short sale it." That's right. So I didn't. I won't. I won't. You don't take a loss until you sell. The rest. The rest of the time is it's just all paper. fake loss. That's right. And people don't get in, in the stock market, especially. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I've always avoided stock investing. Mm-hmm. I got into real estate a lot, but I always avoided stocks because of that whole you know, the, the um, psychology of the market mm-hmm. and, and the fear and the greed and all that stuff. But again, I have a very different mentality today. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's in my, you know, maturity in my, my late 30s now <laughs> <laughs> as I get so ancient to the world. <laughs> but, but it's very much that. I look at it going, okay, it's always gone up. But even if it never went up. So I'm looking at only, like I'm pro- um, properties that will positive cash flow. Properties I can pay down. Mm-hmm. And it's about getting an asset that's leveraged that I can allow the income of the asset to pay down the liability. And that's, that's it. Right. And the same thing goes for a stock, right? There's stocks that pay dividends. So I go, I don't care if Verizon cuts in half or doubles. That didn't change anything for me. The question is, what is it? What do I earn from it? That's right. right. That's right. And it's such a different mentality. So I'm so, I, I'm sorry, I'm just so impressed um, that you're able to keep that mentality. Uh, did you do it with other properties as well Absolutely. during that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything went down. Um, what's really interesting about that time was that, and this is, this also happened in the 2001 crash mm-hmm. is when property values crash and people freak out, yeah. rents go up. 
right. at least in the Bay Area. No, right? well, down in Orange County, the same thing, right? Yeah, so rents go up. So now I'm Because people are freaking out losing their houses, and now right. they have to go live somewhere. Right. But their credit's shot, so but, they can't buy anything. That's right. And so my now I'm cash flowing on every single one of those properties, even though I'm underwater on those loans. That's amazing. Right? Did it ever feel... Did you and your husband both feel the same way? Like, did it ever feel like you're lying in bed at night, mm-hmm. and you're thinking to yourself... We're totally underwater. Or did you feel like, actually, we're doing okay? Did you ever get the feeling of, like, man, this is scary? Absolutely. You did. I, and How'd you I, deal with it? I had my own little freakouts. Okay. And um, and through the skills that I developed, which are in my book, right, Choose Bliss, that was the, I used those specific strategies to pull myself back out to, we're fine. Look at the truth. Don't look at the propaganda. Don't look at what you think is happening. Right. Look at sort of the truth, right? And, and we I, were fine. And I wanted to ask you about that. Actually, that was kind of my next my next question here. So awesome book you wrote. Thank you. Um, you've been all over TV, um, doing segments galore, um, celebrating your book and talking about it, which is pretty cool to be that kind of a sought-after person. The book is Choose Bliss, The Power and Practice of Joy and Contentment. Mm-hmm. So, And we've had a lot of conversations over the years around the title of the book. I remember when you were writing the book. Um, It's so awesome. Why did you land on Choose Bliss as a title for that book? Because what a, I mean, first off, what a great name that it's about bliss, right? It's not Mm -hmm. about struggle and fear and things like that. But why Choose Bliss? Okay. First, let me define bliss. Is that okay? That would be great. So bliss is a deep sense of joy and contentment and the confidence, excuse me, And the confidence yeah. that you can handle anything emotionally that comes your way. So say that one more time for us. Okay. So it is that deep sense of joy and contentment and the confidence that you can handle anything emotionally that comes your way. Brilliant. So kind of like with you, with NLP, and you teaching a lot of this sort of emotional mastery, it's a very similar thing. It's emotional mastery with a different slant. Sure, sure. And... and it, why, why, why did you land on choose? Because it's a choice. Rather than have bliss or experience right. bliss or something like that. We always have a choice. So one of the things that I say to people is that we can't control what's going on in the world around us. Right. We can't control what people do to us. We can't control anything that's outside of ourselves. But the one thing we always have control over is how we choose to respond. Right. So our bliss, our internal state is our choice. So everything, so, and, and what I love too, so your book is really about recovering that choice to respond to environment, to respond to recessions, to respond to hate, to respond to whatever it is, right, that, that we're having to go through. And you've been through all of it. And, and I can tell you right here, right now, um, knowing you as much, as long as I have, um, and I'm, I'm going to share this. So w- we've had this conversation. It was probably a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, I remember you saying, hey, everybody loves you. Thank Everyone you. who meets you, they do. And, and if you're, trust me, you got to see your face. You, like, your smile is real. Um, your heart is of gold. And you are all, you just are that person. You know, you don't put on a show. And that's one of the things that, that's one of the reasons why I've always um, cherished uh, a relationship with you is because you're really one of the good people and you're really one of the authentic people. But you shared that sometimes people had an adverse reaction to you, mm-hmm. right? They see you so happy and they're like, she can't be that happy. She's putting real. it on. 
can't be real. Got to be fake. So when you so you come up and say choose bliss, like what was some of the negative reaction to that? Because <laughs> I, I think that that's worth talking about because yeah. sometimes it feels like a red pill, like it's too good to be true. Yeah. Um, but I, I promise you, I can attest to you right here and now that you're the real deal. Yeah. You really, and, and sure, like you said, you have your struggles like anybody else. But when you are happy, which is most of the time, you are genuinely happy and blissful. So tell me about some of the adverse reaction and the doubt uh, in that. Because I think people will relate to that as well. Yeah. Because you know, we have that inside ourselves. Right, right, right. Um, there are a lot of people that think it's not real. She's a put on. Um, and... I think for me, it's just being consistent is how I've, I've helped people to understand that it can be real. The thing is that we all have bad days. Um, I, have, I have the right, I believe, to feel my, ex- it, my entire spectrum of emotions, all the way from deep depression, I want to die, to absolute ecstasy. But I don't want to live in that huge range. That deep depression is where the lesson is. And that ecstasy is the true reward. But where we live is in that equilibrium that I call bliss. And creating that for yourself has you a place, has, gives you a place to come home to and allows you to fully experience life. So it doesn't mean that I don't have nights where I'm like, God, is it worth it? You know, still. But it also means that I don't ever live there. I'm not there for very long, right? So the biggest key for you is the choice to get out and the choice to change. Right. Right, when the environment happens. How, what, what's your average transition time nowadays? And I don't know if you can hear this in the background right now. We're actually sitting at a conference. This is so cool. Um, you know those those drum, how do you describe this? Um, like the dr- the drum quieters, the silencer yeah. ki- kits. You know, like if, at, a, at a big church, they have like the, the plastic and acoustics around the drum. So they have these drum things set up for podcast booths. And Monique and I are both here as podcasters, and we wanted to grab a few minutes with each other. So they're on a break right now, and the music's going. So we'll see how good these microphones yeah, are. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Because you might not even be able to hear it at all. Yeah. Anyways, how long is your average transition time now between, let's just say, crappy news or an emotional reaction or... Uh, for me, it's like, you know, I read a bad review or uh, a negative email or whatever it is, right? And uh, it gets yeah. me and it gets me, and my heart beats differently and I can, f- I, I feel physical anxiety sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I really do. If you get that kind of a, a scenario, how, what's your transition time to go from that to genuine, I'm happy and blissful again? I'd say probably a couple of hours. A couple of hours. like that, Yeah. 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 If I'm having, if something really horrible happens, like my, I find out that my dad just had a heart attack oh, right. or something like that, that's going to take longer. Sure. That's um, very different. But I don't have months that are bad months. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have a bad day. I might have a bad week. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, it's not going to last very long for me. And you know, I'm a highly emotional person. I'm highly sensitive. I'm very, I love people. I get very attached. I'm highly emotional. So that is really short periods of time from what it used to be sort of in my natural untrained state. Right. You know? Yeah. I I think it's, it's fascinating to me too, that like what you're just talking about, be like the part of the conversation around, it's okay to feel like crap. 
and it's okay to choose to feel great Mm -hmm. and taking the power back for that is a lot of what you teach in your book Mm -hmm. choose bliss the power and practice of joy and contentment um (laughs) available on amazon and we'll we'll put a link in the show notes so you can grab it too just because why not um it's a great book and it really is worthwhile it's been on tv so get it yeah um But like, but there's that, the recovering the choice piece, but there's also, I I love that you brought in the part about like, you're always going to have cycles of emotion, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and it's okay to go back and forth. But I think what a lot of people do, kind of the quote unquote average person, and I just, you know, average person being someone who's not thinking about this or trained or, um, you know, growing in this aspect of their Mm -hmm. life, they probably might have 50, 50. It's like a, this crazy eight where, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're feeling great and then it's like, oh, and then things are down for three days. Then you feel good for a few days. And it's like, you know, to the extreme, you might look like bipolar, but all of us have that, you know, bipolar to an extent, mm-hmm. right? You might not diagnose it because it's not as extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool. So the secret that you talk about in your book is like basically shrinking the negative time. And being able to transition into the blissful time and expanding on that. Right. So you always have the transitions, but it's now it's like 80-20 or 90-10 or, or what, what would you say it is in your life? So, yeah. Realistically. Uh, yeah, I would say it's probably 80-20. But what's, what's also really interesting that I pe- think people don't catch is that, and this, is, this goes back to what you were originally asking me. People would say, you know, when it gets okay to be sad. Yeah. Like they didn't understand that it's not that I felt less emotion. It's not that I was always happy. It's that I really got that I could be in any emotion that I wanted to be, and I chose this one. Mm. So when I'm sad, I get really sad, and I fully honor that emotion. So would you say you're actually then choosing that? Like, hey, my cat got ran over. I feel very sad right now. So I'm choosing to stay with that emotion and honor it. That's right. That's beautiful. So you don't have to, just because you feel negative, whatever the negative emotion Mm -hmm. is, sadness or anger or something, you don't have to feel stuck. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's okay to stay in it. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's okay to stay in it as long as you want. However, it kind of sucks to stay in it a long time. Right, like we were saying earlier. Why? Why not be happy? Right, right? after hours or days, even at some point, it's like okay, this is not I'm fun bored. anymore. Yeah, this is not fun anymore. <laughs> I want to go back to fun. Right, I'm bored. Yeah, so we can make that choice. There is that thing about variety too, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Like there is, like, and contrast. Yeah, um, and. and I wouldn't say we have to be like addicted necessarily, but sometimes, you know, some people I think are addicted to whether it's conflict or drama or sadness or fear or almost because of the variety, because it it shakes up the mundane, Mm -hmm. you know? So how do you, how do you keep bliss? How should I say this? How do you keep bliss um, full of variety? How do you keep it uh, vibrant and, and new? Mm-hmm. Right. Because, I mean, this sounds amazing when you feel like crap. It fa- sounds amazing to feel blissful. Right. But then I start going to my mind thinking, OK, now I'm sitting in a mountaintop for 20 years meditating. Right. And like, <laughs> and, and I know that she said that to me before. Have I? So Good. Funny. Yeah. And, and like, I know that's not bliss. That's not the right, whole picture. Right. That's like one snapshot of a possible kind of a bliss, that's I guess. Right. Um, but how do you how do you keep it new and um, and exciting? Um, here's the thing. For me, bliss is really about having the entire experience of life. Mm-hmm. So like I talk about emotional range, I give myself permission for that entire emotional range because I know that I have a safety net. I know that I've got the parachute, right? So I can always come back to there. That means that I can experience everything. I can like 
when I'm working, I work really hard. When I'm playing, I play really hard. When I'm eating, I taste every single thing, right? When I'm walking the dog, I can feel my steps on the ground as I'm walking. That's so great. You know, so just What a cool description. Yeah, just have the full experience. If you know how to get back to that place, you have liberty and freedom to have the whole experience of life. And that's what keeps it exciting. That's so awesome. So you've taken this, obviously, and applied this in all areas in life, and mm-hmm. especially in real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been investing in real estate since you were 25, so about, what, three or four years? That's right. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it's, it's, <laughs> 25 it's, years? It's, no. <laughs> yeah. 25 years? 24. I'll be almost 25. Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday, I guess. Soon. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's, that's amazing. But like, you, so you have decades of experience doing this, and you've been doing this for yourself. Um, and I know one. So you have uh, your podcast that uh, you started just uh, a few three months, months ago. ago. Three yeah. months ago, it's incredible. And you've um, you're you've been. Um, uh, what's the name of the podcast? To start with that. Real Estate Investing for Women. I want to make sure I got the name right. Real yes. Estate Investing for Women with Monika Sawyer. And your podcast has hit the top five in investment podcasts and the top 35 in business podcasts overall on iTunes, which is just phenomenal. So you, I mean, you're beating out Tim Ferriss and um, Tony Robbins and um, Susie Orman, guys. the real estate. I mean, like you beat, it's incredible. So you're clearly getting a lot of traction. What is it about, uh, what's the difference between like investing and investing for women? What do you talk Mm. about um, to women investors specifically? Because there's clearly this niche of of, of women who go, hey, I want to create what you did. And before you answer that, I do quickly want to honor you as well um, for this. You didn't start out saying, I'm just going to make money by teaching real estate investing like you know because a lot of these like real estate seminars and whatnot they they make their money from selling real estate seminars mm-hmm. not from real estate you have over two decades of experience being a female who is investing and buying properties and holding and you've you've made mistakes and you've had a lot of wins and you you know and you have the long-term strategy like we talked about and it's only now in recent time not just with the podcast but in other places just in recent time that you really said i'm going to come out and start mentoring in this in this field what caused you to say now's the time to start mentoring women in real estate investing um, versus, I don't know, doing the next thing you would have done? Yeah. I believe that Ch- Choose Bliss, that book, was my heart work. Hmm. I believe that I'm a beautiful example. I've been given the skills by God or whoever to be that person and be that role model in the world. Um, Choose Bliss is an outcropping of that, right? Right, yeah. Um, or an extension of that. Um one thing that people would ask frequently, and I know you've heard this in conversations, is, Monica, how, how can you really be blissful all the time? What if you're broke? And that was a question that came up a lot. What if you're broke? What if you don't have the money? Not even broke, but just, you know, just constantly struggling with money. And I realized, just looking at my own life, that it's really true for me. I believe that bliss is an inside job. However... The outside world, what's going on out there, can either support you or make it a lot harder for you to focus on that. So for me, one of the things that I created for myself was the support financially so that I could focus on those things that were more important to me. And I did that through real estate. So I took care of that financial piece. I love that. It so was you, just done. So you can like you can clearly choose bliss even if you're broke, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, go to Fiji if you don't believe us and, and just spend some time with the Fijians. No right. money, super happy people. <laughs> but but when you're in 
especially a Western culture like we have. Um, so you took basically the environmental condition that gets in most people's way and just said, well, what if I just handle that first mm-hmm. and just figure it out, mm-hmm. right? That way it n- I never have to get knocked out from not having the money or, or whatever it is. I love that. Right, yeah. So you got that handle for yourself. I got a handle for myself. So then as people started to ask me, Monica, how do you handle this? We s- I started to have those conversations, and it was a really natural transition into teaching real estate. I mean, right. it just sort of happened. I, ne- I wasn't, I hate to say this, but it wasn't really intentional. It was just a piece of the coaching. Why would you hate bliss. to say that? That's beautiful. <laughs> Right? Okay, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, th- th- that's what I love about you. You didn't sit down and say, I'm going to start marketing women and I'm going to do this really, like, this is my yeah. new thing. That that wasn't you. You just were like, well, I, g- I guess I am really good at it. Mm-hmm. And and that was a big part of what you did for your own bliss to, mm-hmm. to get your money stuff handled. I, I, I think it's beautiful. What a, what a big heart outpouring to say, and especially to, to a demographic you know, that you relate to so much, right? Right. So I love that. Like when you start looking at demographics, not as who should I market to, but who do I care for, right? right? And and I know that's what where your heart is, that you care about everyone, but you care for these, the, the females, the, the women that want to create the, the, the real estate wealth for themselves. That's right. Um, how, God, how should I ask this? Well, first off, let me, let me what do we want to plug? I want to, plug something for you to make sure you connect so we got the podcast obviously real estate investing for women monica sawyer go search for it now find it we'll put a link in the show notes perfect choose bliss the book choose bliss the book yeah and then also if people want to actually see that my trajectory like where i started and where i got to um you can actually see the entire strategy by going to blissfulinvestor.com oh that's a good idea and just getting a download of what I did. I just built it out year by year. Really? Yeah. So, so you've laid out like your, your story in terms of um, real estate strategy and, and how you've built up. Yeah. Which is so cool. Talk about getting rid of the smoke and mirrors. Like again, is in the coaching industry, there's a lot of that mm-hmm. and you just don't have any of it. No, so you just laid out. Is. So yeah. blissfulinvestor.com and you can see exactly what she did as a woman to build her real estate portfolio. That's right. Not that it necessarily has to be different, but maybe there, there is different pieces of how, how we think and how we feel. And, and um, I think what people will find is that we tend to make things really complicated. This is also about bliss. We make things complicated. Things don't have to be complicated. They can just be easy and fun and blissful. They really can. And that's what you'll see in that report. That's awesome. So blissfulinvestor.com, you can see her entire timeline. That's awesome. Um, Final kind of questions as we get to the the twilight of our interview here. Um, Advice. Um, I'm a woman, let's just say, starting out, and I've never invested before, but I, I love the idea. I want to get handled. I want to have bliss. What's some advice for me? Get yourself a mentor. Um, Part of what has made me so blissful through most of what I've done is getting really amazing mentors like yourself. Um, Thank you. (laughs) But people that do, do what I want to do and do it really well. This is a key. Find someone who's doing what you want to do that does it really, really well. The mistake a lot of us do is we hire the guys that are teaching about real estate mm-hmm. that have never done their own deals. They've never seen successful. They them seen success. They themselves are not multimillionaires owning real estate. No, they're just selling seminars. Right? 
get yourself a mentor that is that is past where you want to go you know in the near term so that would be my biggest thing is get a mentor that knows what they're talking about not just says they know what they're talking about love that and, and i <laughs> and look I, I can attest to that because i didn't realize i was doing this but at 18 i got two mentors joe and ed uh-huh. that are brothers uh-huh. you've probably heard that story yeah. in real estate and in mortgage and i didn't know it but they taught me everything that they had already been doing and you know the guy. I mean, Ed still has one of the most um, uh, expensive homes on the beach in Corona del Mar, down Newport Beach area in Orange County. Mm-hmm. It's like one house hanging off the cliff, right on the beach by wow. itself, worth many, 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 many millions. Mm-hmm. And and he's you know it's like he built his whole real estate portfolio. So as a kid, I just started doing whatever he did, and I started learning from mm-hmm. him. So get yourself a mentor. I love that. Final question. Yes. If you could give yourself a younger you. A maybe a 25-year-old you, uh, any advice? No, better than that. If you could give a about-to-go-to-Berkeley young Monica advice, what would you give? Don't take it all so seriously. Wow. Like, life should be really, really joyful. Yeah. And if you could change anything in your story, anything in your history, what you've been through, what would you change, or would you leave it all the same? I'd leave it all the same. Everything. Every single thing. Wow. Yeah. I love it. Monica, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been delightful. Thank you, Matt. It has also been delightful for me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Uh, You know, every time I sit down with Monica, it's just... (laughs) It's a blissful experience, not pun intended, I suppose. It really is just always just a pleasure. So thank you, Monika, for coming out. Thank you for uh, taking your time with me while while we were both at this conference to be able to chat and just catch up. You know, the, the funny thing is I've known you for years, but I also haven't known all your stories. So it was great to get Monique's story, um, to hear some of the growing up and, and really like what, you know, why we make the choices we make. So hope you got something out of that. Uh, I certainly did. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm pumped. I gotta tell you, I'm pumped. I want to get out. And, you know, I bought my first uh, piece of property with my wife, the house we're living in now, uh, just earlier this year. And it's my first piece in, uh, in 10 years you know, ever since those down cycles and it's been, you know, coming back up and I'm excited about it, you know, so I want to get into the next phase of it and, you know, looking for some investment property. So if you are interested in that world at all, make sure you reach out to Monica. You can find her, of course, on social media. You can find her on Facebook at Monica Sawyer. Remember her name is M-O-N-E-E-K-A, Monica Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R. And we'll have all her links in the show notes. So just pop over there real quick. If you're an Instagram or a Twitter or a Facebook person, we'll put all those links in the show notes so you can check it out and follow Monica. You can, of course, get her uh, best-selling book. You can find that at coreblisslife.com. And if there's any other cool links in there that we get from Anika as we publish this, we will, of course, put that in the show notes as well. But uh, if you go to coreblisslife.com, you can meet her there. You can pick up the book. Um, she has some cool programs, and she has some free givey, uh, givies, <laughs> givies, giveaways, uh, freebies. I was going to say freebies. Her gift is The Five Easy Ways to Be Happy, Free, and Strong. It's a free ebook. So that's uh, the new book about Core Bliss Life, and you can get that for free on her website as well. Thanks again, Monica. Thanks for listening. Hope you had, again, amazing holidays. It's still Thanksgiving weekend as we're doing this, so I'm going to get back in. My son is sitting here ready to play. Is that right, Val? You are? 
Yep, he's ready and he's getting in all my camera equipment. So I probably should go see what he's up to. Have an awesome holiday with your fam. Um, as usual, get out there, enjoy life, and crush it.